and welcome to another episode of Interactive Control, the place to get all your burning industrial control questions answered. I'm your host, Michelle Rosinski. This episode is part three of a discussion on gas turbine operation with my guest, Robert Hawkins. Robert is a lead technical support specialist for Nexus Control's remote diagnostic service team and has over 30 years of experience with steam and gas turbines, mechanical and control systems. His past roles include product services engineer, instructor, and field engineer. In part one of this discussion, we covered concepts related to the basic operation of gas turbines, which are important to understand for effective troubleshooting when issues arise. In part two, we covered common issues that can occur with startup, shutdown, and combustion. In part three, we cover considerations related to support systems, compressor performance and water wash, turbine performance, and vibration monitoring. Let's listen in on part three of this discussion. Hello, Robert. Thank you so much for joining me again today. Could you start out by telling us a little bit about your current role and how it relates to what you're going to be talking about today? Certainly, Michelle. Thank you for the opportunity. Um, so I'm in a, a position that's called a remote diagnostics engineering position. And what we do is we uh, connect into sites remotely through um, internet security systems that allow us to uh, investigate, analyze data from a machine, and um, give the equipment owner some assistance in getting their equipment uh, back online when they have problems. Um, this role requires a um, fast connection into the into the site and um, a, an in-depth knowledge of both the control system, the control uh, sequencing, the control code, and um, what the machine is supposed to do uh, at any given moment when it's operating so that we can analyze problems for the customer. Great. Now, building on our previous sessions, do you have any other uh, areas of operational concern that you'd like to touch on? Yeah. Um, the, what I'd like to say is that there's support systems for this equipment that are um, that are important to understand. There's um, the support systems like lube oil, fuel, IG, inlet guide vanes, which we call IGVs, hydraulic oil, trip oil, the air systems, etc. All of those are important components of this that have uh, necessary applications, obviously, otherwise they wouldn't be there, but they're, they're important to understand. And sometimes they're sort of pushed to the side that people are, are less focused on them. And so it's important to understand them. And <clears throat> these systems are detailed in uh, their equipment manuals that are supplied with the uh, turbine itself. And these system drawings are important important to understand to uh, identify the features and uh, settings for this equipment so th that's something that that's that's important for um, operations people to be aware of and um, a, a document that goes hand in hand with those system drawings is a, a document called the device summary which details the settings for the devices in these um, uh, support systems like temperature settings and pressure settings, etc. Uh, when I did operations uh, training back at another point in my career, um, I would spend a lot of time going through each of the, the 
the systems in detail with the operations staff so that they would understand what was going on uh, with each system. It, it, so that's an important point, I think. Then um, one of the things that's um, of those support systems that's important is the hydraulic oil pressure. We're moving more and more towards eliminating hydraulic oil, but we haven't got there yet. Um, the, the hydraulic oil is the thing that you is operating the the control components, so the fuel valves and, and uh, air valves that are on this equipment are operated by high pressure oil, the hydraulic oil. And um, if those, if the hydraulic oil system isn't operating properly, then those control components aren't going to operate properly. And so the turbine isn't going to operate properly. So um, it could be traced all the way back to this support system if the machine isn't operating correctly. And there's two things that are typically, three things that are typically part of the hydraulic oil system that could be problematic. And one of them, one is the uh, pressure itself. So its, it's pressure is developed through motor-driven pumps. And that high-pressure oil then is used to operate the, the valves, um, the control valves. Um, that pressure is assisted or maintained through the second thing, which is an accumulator. And that accumulator is often overlooked. A lot of people don't even, aren't even aware of it. And um, it's, it has a pre-charge on it, which is uh, basically allowing it to push oil. It's basically a hydraulic spring inside the system, which allows maintenance of or maintaining uh, pressure in the hydraulic oil system if the pump was to momentarily um, lag in producing the pressure. And so this accumulator can, uh, if it's not working properly, it can result in um, operational issues with the hydraulic system where it's, it, the, there may be um, a, a lot of valve hunting on the system. So that's something to keep aware of. And then the last thing uh, in the system that needs to be known about is the filters themselves on the hydraulic oil system. If they get plugged up, then that could be a problem, could result in a problem. Can I ask a question? You said sure. you said that the hydraulic oil is being phased out, and I'm just curious, why, why are we doing that? Um, oil is uh, flammable, and so if we can get uh, flammable components out of the, um, out of the system as much as possible it makes the unit that much safer and we're moving mm -hmm. towards um, electric operated valves electric motor driven valves and right now we've we've only got them on fuel valves um, but um, the hope is and the intent is to move eventually get these motors big enough these ele uh, electric motor driven valves big enough that they can also operate the other uh, big hydraulic oil system component in the unit which is the inlet guide vanes and um, and just completely eliminate the use of hydraulic oil in the machine um, thereby you know decreasing the likelihood of a, of a fire breaking out due to leaking oil okay that makes sense so um, then the other thing that I've talked a lot about is the compressor and the compressor is, you know, fundamental to the operation of the machine. And so compressor performance is, um, dictates uh, the unit efficiency, dictates the, the way the combustion system is going to actually function. Uh, it, it goes through, throughout the system. And so it's 
off its performance is um, is critical to the the proper operation of the machine. And over time, the internal compressor components, which we call airfoils or blades, they they can become dirty, and they can um, that dirt can result in decreased efficiency, decreased performance. Um, and you'll see this decrease in performance of the compressor as a decrease in the output pressure of the machine. So what we call the compressor discharge pressure. And um, it, one of the things that we offer with this equipment is something that's called water wash system to clean these um, compressor airfoils um, periodically. And this water wash system takes two forms. There's an online water wash method and an offline water wash. Online, you can do that um, pretty much any time. You just reduce the load, and then um, they we spray uh, demineralized water into the unit while the machine is producing um, producing power, and um, that washes the blades, uh, the dirt that's off the blades, and it pushes them pushes the dirt down basically uh, further into the path and then eventually into the combustors and it becomes part of the the exhaust gas that goes out so um, it it is just water that's sprayed in and it's it can be done anytime um, within limits of air, ambient air temperatures etc you wouldn't want to do that in the middle of winter or something like that uh, if it was very cold out but but operationally it can be done at any time and the more often it's done the the less likely it is for um, component uh, components to get really uh, baked on deposits on them that that uh, can't be washed off in this method um, this method is effective only for the earlier stages once the pressure and temperature of the gas of the air uh the compressor uh performance itself once it reach moves down into later stages of the compressor that water becomes uh steam and it's not nearly as effective in taking the, the deposits off plus any deposits that are on those later stages are in that hot environment and they tend to be more baked on the, on the blading um, and not as likely to be washed off. But if you do online water wash frequently, the opportunity for that later stage deposits to develop are, are uh, reduced and uh, um, further limited. So it, it's generally a good practice to do online water washing when you can. One of the operational factors in this is you have to use demon water, which costs you money to, to produce. Um, and then the other method of water wash is the offline water wash, which is the most effective way of cleaning the blades. And that's where we actually use what we call a detergent. And if I was on camera, I'd be using air quotes on that. It's not really a detergent so much as a chemical solvent, but it, it uh, is put it mixed in with a water mixture in an off-base skid system. And that emulsion is then sprayed in with the unit offline, that's why it's called offline water wash. So the unit is, is cranking, it's turning at slow speed and the, it, relatively to the online water wash, there's this deluge of, of emulsion that's sprayed in and it goes all the way through the system. And because it's the rotor is turning at a slow speed, there's no high temperatures anywhere. So this water detergent mixture reaches all of the stages of the compressor and it 
uh, deposits on all the blades and uh, and on the deposits that are on the blade saturates them. And then the unit goes into what's called a soak period where it just sits and lets that detergent emulsion do its job in loosening the, uh, the deposits. And then the third step of this is a rinse where Again, there's this deluge of water, no, no detergent anymore. It's just demon water that sprays in, and it washes all of these deposits down through the casing and out what are called false start drain valves, which are basically valve-operated openings in the casing, which drain the, dirt, the, the deposits out of the unit. And that water that comes out is black at first. I mean, it is just filthy. And then... Um, and that rinse continues until the water that's coming out is relatively clean. You wouldn't want to drink it or anything, but it's relatively looking more like water rather than oil. And then, um, then the final stage is to dry the unit out. Um, basically, either start the unit up or and operate normally or fire the unit and run it for 10 or 15 minutes to basically just dry everything out and push all the water, any little bits of water back out of the system. And, and then in that way, you restore compressor performance. And a combination of offline and online is the best way to maintain compressor performance. And maintaining compressor performance is critical to uh, efficiency and fuel economy on the machine. And the other part of compressor performance would be a long term is just the general degradation of the blading itself due to whatever. And so clearances or uh, airfoil profile uh, can degrade over a period of time and that will decrease efficiency. And there's nothing we can do about that. That's just aging on the machine. But paying attention to that, you can... Um, evaluate how how effective the machine is operating and if there is maintenance that needs to be done to restore that efficiency that that's a economical decision that operations people need to make uh to be aware of and make decisions on so can i ask a question on the water wash sure on the offline water wash the unit has to be shut down is the recommendation to do this every time the unit's shut down or like every two years five years is there a recommendation on it um generally if you were doing online water washes as an operate as a plant engineer what i'd be doing is i would be tracking my compressor discharge pressure and if if you were doing that, you would see the compressor discharge pressure was, is dropping over a period of time. And then you do an online water wash and you would see that compressor discharge pressure jump back up again. And that makes you happy because that means the machine's more operationally effective. And then it would start to gradually decrease again. You do another online water wash and maybe you just set up the, this, the operation staff to do it once a week. There's uh, units in this country that are uh, in really industrially compromised areas uh, where the air quality is really low due to industrial location and um, and so they're sucking in a lot of dust or dirt and that kind of thing just to just because of their location and they actually do an online water wash every day but so as an operations engineer i would evaluate what would be necessary for for my staff to to do this work um, and and restore pressure and so um, I would every time I did a water wash, I'd see how much compressive discharge pressure is restored, and over a period of time, that jump back up to compressor uh, performance is going to get lower because that means that the deposits are less uh, 
likely to be washed off of the uh, due to the online water wash, no detergent. And so the, the fouling on the blade is moving further into the hotter section of the compressor. And I'm just not getting the, any bang for my buck for the the money I'm spending on demon water isn't just is just not restoring that compressive discharge pressure anymore. So then that's when I would schedule a, a uh, an offline water wash at the next time the unit was available. So if let's say in in uh, September I identified that this online water wash just wasn't doing much for me anymore, I would and I knew I had an outage coming up and let's say or I had an opportunity, the machine was going to be shut down in three weeks for whatever reason, then I would, um, I would have a opportunity for um, that offline water wash to be done the next time the unit is shut down. Or I could leave a, a note for operation staff that the next time the unit comes offline, we're going to do an offline water wash, whatever. So it's, it, it, it's that kind of, uh, reasoning that's that's applied to the application of those two um, processes. Okay, so the offline water wash should be done based, uh, it should be a condition-based decision, and the, the input to make that decision is, you know, how much of an effect the online water wash is able to have. Generally, that's the way it would be. I mean, if, if you were, you know, if you, had, if you operated the equipment long enough you get a got you get an idea of you know that the local area and stuff like that you'd say okay you know every time we come offline we're just going to do an offline water wash it would you know depend on the particular location and that kind of thing but that's that's the idea behind the uh the two dis the decision for the two systems okay that's really cool that you can do an online water wash and still be generating power the whole time yeah, and uh, the interesting thing is, is that actually when you're doing the water wash itself, you you back the load off. Let's say the machine is operating normally at, let's say, 80 megawatts. You back the load off to, let's say, 60 megawatts or, or 50 megawatts, whatever, to do the online water wash. And when you started the online water wash, you would see a jump in megawatts of maybe three or four megawatts because this, the water that you're injecting actually – as I said in the first um, uh, podcast, these machines are mass flow devices, and the mass generally is air mass plus fuel mass. Well, when you're doing an online water wash, you're in, you're adding a third uh, mass to that, and that's the water mass, and you're so you're effectively turning your gas turbine into a gas turbine slash steam turbine because that water that you're injecting is turning into steam, which is then going downstream and helping to push power out of the machine. So you, you, um, it's, it's interesting to, to see that happen and, and see that uh, bump in, in power production just because of the water that you're injecting. And then um, similar to compressor uh, performance, um, the, the turbine performance is important also. There's less, if, uh, less that we can offer for that um, on less it's exceptional equipment. Um, there are units that have what are called turbine wash where um, we actually do the same thing for the turbine section that we do with the um, in the compressor section, but the, the uh, problem or the, the, that usually is only necessary when they're operating exclusively on liquid fuel and the liquid fuel is um, what we call heavy 
fuel. It's got uh, vanadium in it or other heavy metals in it, and um, or it's burning a lot of liquid fuel, and, and that fuel is going to uh, put deposits on the blading, which would need to be washed off. But generally, that that's that system is on much older equipment. It's not as common anymore. Uh, but that said. Um, the turbine performance is still important. And so we pay attention to that with, um, we have a system that's called uh, an auxiliary system or a support system called performance monitoring, which evaluates uh, the pressures that are out of the unit and measuring the exhaust pressure on the machine allows us to evaluate how that turbine is performing. So uh, we pay attention to that for the purpose of understanding if the, um, if the turbine's degrading, in which case we need to start thinking about maintenance work on the equipment. And then also uh, exhaust pressure needs to be as low as possible. Vacuum would be uh, ideal where it's drawing the gases out of the turbine. It's not pushing any, putting up any kind of, kind of a pressure wall to reduce the expansion of gases through the turbine, which is what we want for power. Um, so we evaluate that for that exhaust pressure. And if it climbs up too much, then safety measures are implemented uh, where we actually will shut the unit down or run the load back because we're concerned about what's going on in the exhaust. The exhaust pressures shouldn't be climbing unless there was something unusual happening um, in the exhaust. So there's a, a, a protective nature to that, um, that exhaust pressure monitoring. And the final thing that's operationally uh, relevant for um, this discussion is uh, vibrations on the unit. Um, if um, the people that are listening to this are more familiar, familiar with um, steam turbines than gas turbines, there's there's an has to be an understanding that both types of rotating equipment have vibrational concerns, vibrational vibration monitoring and protection, but Gas turbines are operating fundamentally different than steam turbines in that steam turbines have what are called multiple criticals where the, the rotor goes through geometry changes as it's running up to operational speed. Um, and that's mostly due to the fact that steam turbine rotors are considerably longer than gas turbines normally. And generally, they're heavier rotors than the gas turbine rotors that historically they have been solid masses of steel. And so they they do tend to sag. They always have to be on turning gear to keep them from sagging down, unlike gas turbines. So as a result of steam turbine rotors being heavier and longer, they have multiple criticals that, that change the vibration characteristics of the machine as it's running up. And it... Um, that presents uh, other issues, but on gas turbines, that's that's not common at all. Um, gas turbines operate in their operate in their first fundamental, so they're basically in a single um, rotor shape. And um, steam turbine rotors, it's common for steam turbine rotors to have to be balanced at some point in the field, and as a result, they they're designed for that balancing uh, need, that balancing correction. But gas turbines, gas turbines do not often have to be balanced. No, they don't. It's 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 uh, exceptional for them to have to be balanced. And mm -hmm. if they do, they're generally not done in the field. They're they're moved out of the casing and done and put into a a, a balance pit for um, that purpose. So 
um, their, their vibration is a lot different. And um, as a result, we can measure the vibrations differently. Um, gas turbines will have what are called seismic probes, um, which are basically um, sitting on the, on the bearing housings themselves. They don't actually have to look at the shaft. They, they, the new equipment does, but they don't have to because of the nature of the, the design of gas turbines, whereas steam turbines have always had to ha look at the rotor movement directly by looking at the shaft with proximity probes and earlier before that um, shaft riders and they um, whereas gas turbines um, are uh, generally vibration uh, performance is a lot less complicated than on steam turbines and that's that's about all the things that come to mind as, um, in, in this overview of operational issues awesome uh, thank you so much for your time. This has been so informative for me and hopefully for our listeners as well. Um, and, you know, hopefully we can talk you into doing another episode at some point in the future. I'd be happy to. Thank you very much for the opportunity, Michelle. Thank you. Have a great day. You too. Thank you. Thanks everyone for joining me for today's episode of Interactive Control, where we discussed considerations related to support systems, compressor performance in water wash, turbine performance, and vibration monitoring. We at Nexus Controls hope you found this discussion helpful. If so, please subscribe to our podcast and tell all your control friends about us. And if you missed it, don't forget to check out parts one and two of this discussion. You may also want to check out our website at nexuscontrols.com, where you can learn more about our remote diagnostic services provided by awesome experts like Robert. Lastly, don't forget the title of this podcast is Interactive Control for a reason. If you have a topic you'd like us to cover that we haven't yet, please post it in the comments and we'll do our best to cover it in a future episode. Thanks again and bye for now.